0: and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie.
1: Will you pray with me? You do not seem as alarmed as you should be, Holy One, given the alleged war on Christmas. A certain representative from Ohio recently sounded the alarm. They tried to cancel Thanksgiving. Didn't work. They're coming for Christmas next. To be fair, this has been said before, coupled with the charge that we need to put Christ back in Christmas. But having reviewed the story, this may be more problematic for some than others. To start, you picked a teenage mother and a low-wage worker who likely could have used a carpenter's union to raise the one who would defeat death. Where, where did you get their names? Definitely not from the list of who's who of Nazareth. And in getting the news out of Jesus' birth, you prioritized people who were nobodies in the field. Broke, uninsured, no retirement or investment portfolio to speak of. Yet these are the people you went to first, not even considering that they couldn't make a campaign contribution. It seems that to put Christ back in Christmas... We'll have to quit hating people who are poor and experiencing homelessness. But at least we know where to begin. We pray in the name of Jesus, the baby born in a barn, to save us from ourselves. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from two passages, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, and the gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there... When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I took the risk of reading two scripture passages today, even though that is decidedly not our tradition around here, just the one, but I took that risk because I really couldn't decide which Christmas story to read. And I did need to read one. I have witnessed the aftermath of a preacher not reading one of the birth narratives on the Sunday before Christmas, And there are other hills to die on. So, as you heard, I read the stories of the first Christmas. As theologians Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan point out, note the plural. We do not have a story of the first Christmas, but two. They are found in Matthew and Luke, two of the four Gospels of the New Testament. Each begins with two chapters about the birth of Jesus, Neither Mark nor John have a birth narrative for Jesus. He's introduced in those Gospels as an adult seeking baptism. Historically, the church has made a fuss about the baby. You know the line, Jesus is the reason for the season. The line from the hymn, O come, let us adore him, is how we are encouraged to focus our energy We know about the other characters in the story, of course, but more often than not, we keep our attention on the baby. We do this even though we know that babies do not care about other people. They only worry about themselves. They do not care if anyone else is getting sleep or has had time to take a bathroom break or shower or eat a meal without interruption. Babies have their days and nights mixed up and punish everyone else for it. They insist on being carried everywhere and they slobber on everything. Banking on a baby for the salvation of the world was possibly I don't know the most terrible idea, if you ask me. And it's possible that all four gospel writers agree with me. As I've already said, Mark and John spill zero ink on baby Jesus. Even Matthew and Luke give us very little information about Jesus the infant. They barely remember to mention that the child was, in fact, actually born. Instead, they tell us all about the people who the church has designated as the supporting cast. As you heard in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' birth is only mentioned in a passing phrase in the last verse of the chapter. And even then, Joseph is the subject of the sentence. He had no marital relations with Mary until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. There are no swaddling clothes, no crowded stable, and no hay-filled manger. Matthew moves on immediately to the Magi, who must engage in civil disobedience to reach their destination, to finally arrive with their three gifts. Then the story continues with Joseph again as the protagonist, when he decides for the safety of his family that they must migrate, first to Egypt and then to Nazareth. After that, we time travel, several decades to the River Jordan where Jesus is all grown up. The Gospel of Luke takes this same approach, telling us very little about the infant that we are all waiting on, although Luke gives us exponentially more characters with which to play. Elizabeth and Zachariah, baby John the Baptist, Mary, the angel Gabriel, and eventually... Joseph, who takes his pregnant wife on a road trip to Bethlehem, even though she's definitely too close to her due date to travel. It is at this point, even though Luke has included a plethora of characters for us to consider in this story, that we throw in the donkey, right? After all, surely Joseph and Mary didn't make the pregnant woman walk to Bethlehem, So ubiquitous is the donkey in our imagining of the story that people assume it's in the text, but it's not. There is no donkey. I I realize some of you may be shook by this news, but let's keep moving. So finally, after 86 verses, Luke gives the baby one line. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn." And even in that line, we are told this baby was the first of more for Mary. Even on his birthday, yet-to-be-born siblings, elbow in a little bit. Luke then moves on to the part we know best. The angel of the Lord and the heavenly host appearing to scare the daylights out of the shepherds keeping watch by night, who indeed faithfully go and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. They find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger, but Luke doesn't give us any more details about that child, and certainly not whether or not he cried. Instead, Luke moves on to the next stop. We are then told of the prophets, Anna and Simeon, who were at the temple to greet Mary and Joseph and their infant son and welcome him into a community with a blessing, much like we do with our newborn members. Most of our Christmas hymns that focus on the baby in the manger are things we've made up, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. It's like we didn't think the story was fantastical enough, so we had to turn Jesus into a magic baby that didn't cry. To be blunt, I'm not sure this has done us much good. Don't mistake this as me being anti-Christmas carols. Sing them all. But let us not forget to pay attention to why the stories are told the way they are told, which they are told as parables. Borg and Crossan explain, by definition, a parable is a narrative, a story. As in all stories, something happens, This is true even in the shortest of Jesus' parables. A man discovers buried treasure in a field, a merchant searches for fine pearls, a woman puts leaven in flour, a woman searches for a lost coin. People do things in parables, something happens. But no one worries about whether the events in parabolic narratives are factual. Parable as a form of language is about meaning not factuality. The meaning of a parable is parabolic truth, and it does not depend on its factuality. Parables are thus a form of metaphorical language. The metaphorical meaning of language is its more than literal meaning, the capacity of language to carry a surplus of meaning. A parable is a narrative metaphor, a metaphorical narrative whose truth lies in its meaning. So these Christmas stories are not just telling us that a very special baby was born. In addition to providing a way of seeing that parabolic language can be true independently of factuality, Jesus' parables were subversive stories. They subverted conventional ways of seeing life and understanding God. They undermined a world, meaning a taken for granted way of seeing the way things are. Jesus' parables invited his hearers into a different way of seeing how things are and how we might live. As invitations to see differently, they were subversive. Indeed, perhaps seeing differently is the foundation of subversion. So maybe let us see these Christmas stories differently. If we read these Christmas stories as subversive narratives, it becomes pretty clear that they are trying to tell us something about how God works, which, given the context, is about as unexpected as you can get. These stories were written in the midst of Roman occupation of Jewish people and the destruction of the temple. Everyone was waiting on the next King David to come with sword and shield to save the people in exactly the same way they had been taken captive, by violence, oppression, and domination. But God wasn't and isn't interested in a violent takeover, but a revolution of love. And what better way than to start with a baby, one who would grow up to teach justice, forgiveness, and mercy. The empire never saw it coming. And speaking of subversion, and we're getting into heresy territory here, but I know that's what you dig. The story doesn't seem to tell us that all of this happened because Baby Jesus was magic or even divine. Rather, given the way Matthew and Luke tell it, we're supposed to be paying attention to all of the seemingly average people who had a hand in getting that baby earthside and then raising him to be faithful. The men and women who showed up and stuck around. The host of people who believed that they had a responsibility to give their best to a child, the beloved community who welcomed and blessed the child. It was an incredibly random assortment of folks, holier than thou angels, the near homeless shepherds, a pair of young parents mentored by an older couple, strangers, family, and friends who brought the possibility of salvation to the world. As they say, the family of God is a scandalous one, a holy lineage of risk-takers and truth-tellers, choosing each other in the midst of danger, turning towards love and practicing courage, defying social norms of gender that confine, resisting forms of power that destroy, God draws together the open-hearted, the passionate and the brave, the tender and the humble, the ones who provoke justice and summon ideas that transform. The birth of Christ is the divine embrace of the strange, the subversive, and the forsaken. As we move closer to the day when we celebrate the Christmas stories, may this beloved community remember that we, too, are called together as an incredibly random assortment of folks to bring the possibility of salvation to the world, to be risk-takers and truth-tellers, choosing each other in the midst of danger, turning towards love and practicing courage, defying social norms of gender that confine and resisting forms of power that destroy. We are to be the open-hearted, passionate, brave, tender, and humble that God calls together, the ones who provoke justice and summon ideas that transform. God is counting on us. As St. Augustine wrote, without God, we cannot, without us, God will not. Merry Christmas, Church. Merry Christmas.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.